You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Joey Fay, president and founder of Quatrefoil Consulting, a veteran-owned commercial real estate consulting firm and project leadership company in the niche sectors of government, healthcare, and life science and technology innovation. He's also a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Marine Corps Reserves. Joey, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, tell us a little bit about your organization. Tell us about Quatrefoil. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? All right. So to be very clear, Quatrefoil Consulting is a leadership consulting firm. Project management is an element of what we do, but we are leaders first. And so we augment C-suites for clients, mainly in the greater Philadelphia area. And we become their leader for any capital projects they're doing related to life science, healthcare, technology, things like that. We took the military training that we had, put it into a civilian format, and we we have a leadership philosophy that I think is better than everyone else's out there. Nice. Thank you so much. Now, what's your favorite part of your job and why? My favorite part of my job is how everything is always changing. We work for a lot of great clients in the city of Philadelphia. I can name a few, the Union League, the 76ers. Doylestown Hospital, Wexford Science and Technology. These folks are doing some of the biggest things in this city and in this region, and we get to be a part of that. So we get to see how those sectors are advancing, what kind of changes are happening, and we get to be a part of leading those things forward into the future. So it's never the same thing. We got new challenges every day, as you know, with the pandemic and with things going from always in person to virtual, logistical challenges faces us in the construction industry. Uh, we get to constantly be changing and morphing and, and finding new ways to do a better job. And in all these new ways that you're finding, what's something new or exciting that's happening? And how do you have to adjust your messaging when talking to different key stakeholder groups about it? So when we launched the company in 2018, we launched as a veteran-owned business. And our hope was to get into public sector work. And that's work for either the federal, state, or local government. We never really had to because we got so many great private clients and we've been working in the private sector. But now our worlds are colliding. As a Lieutenant Colonel in the Reserves, I had the opportunity last year to go to San Diego and become a DOD liaison to the Department of Health and Human Services, where I I worked at an emergency intake site at the San Diego Convention Center. That was a really eye-opening mission for me. It was a 30-day mission, and our job was to take care of 1,200 young girls, unaccompanied migrant girls, who had come across our border and just had a little slip of paper in their hand saying, hey, I have an uncle in the United States at this address and at this phone number. Our job with those girls, we had 1,200 girls in that facility, and they were constantly coming in and going out. And they were spending roughly 70 days there when I first arrived. Our job was to bring that 70 days back down to something closer to 30 days so that the girls spent less time in that environment and got out to their sponsor quicker. As you mentioned, or I may have mentioned to you earlier, I'm a father of four girls, and this mission really meant a lot to me. I looked at every one of these girls like they were my daughter. In fact, there were times where I just sat there crying, just upset about a young girl who had nobody 
and was just in this country without maybe even speaking English and, and just didn't know where to go. And it was our job to take care of them. Now, we did a great job reducing that mission down to 30, 35 days and mapping out a process for how those girls would be processed through and move on to their sponsors. Now the government's looking at making those institutions private. They're going away from the emergency intake sites and they're going to influx care facilities. Those ICFs are probably going to start popping up around the country. And because of my role as both a, a project leader on the civilian side and what I did as a lieutenant colonel on the government side, and the fact that our company is now a service-disabled veteran-owned business, we have a real opportunity to get one of those contracts, to open one of those facilities, to take care of 1,200 girls at a private site and make sure it's done right and to treat them the way I'd want my daughter to be treated if she showed up in another country and make sure that they get processed through to their sponsors and ultimately ultimately have a safe passage here to the United States. I can't even imagine being in that situation. I mean, the fear as a child going through this and the heartbreak of a parent who has to send them across and hope that they're going to be taken care of. I, I can't imagine what you must have seen, but I'm so glad that there were people like you who were trying to make this as safe and efficient an opportunity as possible for these girls. Now, with regard to making all these transitions for you as a contractor now, with the opportunity to go in privately and take over and manage this kind of project, how do you have to communicate differently? Well, so one of the core values of Quatchflow Consulting is likability. It's the L factor. And, you know, it's really important in the private sector that you can walk into a room and shake someone's hand and say, I'm Joey Faye. You're going to like working with me. And even if my price isn't the best price on your table, you're going to want me being the guy handling your project. That's gone a long way for us. And I think likability has been huge. I've hired all, all the folks on our team, in my opinion, are likable. And that's one of the main things we look for when we hire people. Getting likability across in a public bid is challenging because it's forms, documents, you never really have the chance to have that face-to-face -face interview. And there's lots of regulations associated with how you bid. So part of what we have to do is take that story that I just told you and find a way to articulate that in our bid. Maybe it's mm. an introductory letter. Maybe it says, hey, I'm not just a guy that can provide a real estate assets and the operations to support this project, but I'm also a father of four girls, someone who's been in an EIS and someone who knows this mission and cares about it. I would imagine that that would be frustrating when at least in the private sector, you know, you have the opportunity to get to know people, you build relationships, you build rapport with your prospects and, and they get to know you both personally, professionally, you see the face, you shake the hand, you have that connection, which can then make a big difference. In branding, we talk about the three key factors, right? Do you know, like, and trust? If you know, like, and trust a brand, you're going to continue to return to that brand. How do you do that when you hit submit on the government website with your 8 billion page document or go through their 8 billion page form and you just fill in the boxes and click? You don't even know if there's a human on the other end. You assume that there is, but you may never have any actual evidence thereof. So to be able to put all that into writing when there's no ability to communicate orally, I would imagine that's got to be frustrating. It is, but it's just another hurdle that we have to overcome. And I think at the end of the day, when we put that proposal in, it's going to maybe have a little more heart than the next one. Um, maybe the prices will be comparable. I think at a minimum, it'll get us a seat at the table so that maybe we will have an opportunity to express why we're different in a face-to-face -face way. Yes, absolutely. Now, with all of this communication, what is something that you're really good at and what's something you wish you were better at? Well, I think what's really helpful in this current environment that we're, we're heading into here is that I think one of my best skills is, is my writing skills. Um, as a Marine, I was the adjutant for a, a battalion 
And so it was my job to be the one who wrote on behalf of the battalion and write to congressmen, write to families of the fallen, write awards, write letters of discipline, write legal documents. So I really had to hone my skills as a writer when I was a young Marine. And that's really helped me. It's helped me with our proposals. It helped me in college. It helped me as a, as a young businessman when I first got out of the Marines. And I think writing is one of the best things that, that I do. I do think that I'm a great team builder, but building teams is only one thing. Once you have a team in place, you really have to delegate appropriately. And in my world, I've found that I have a hard time delegating what I think is important. If I have a proposal that one of my partners brought to me and said, hey, we have an opportunity to bid on this. A lot of times, I want to do that proposal. I want to work on it, even if I don't have time. Um, and that's something I really have to work on because I know I know my partners are capable of it. But if it really gets in my in my mindset, if it gets in my target zone, I want to be the one that that leads that. And so that's kind of the double-edged sword of leadership. You do want to be out front and at the tip of the spear, but you also have to sometimes let someone else run with the ball. Yes, yeah, hard to let go. It's hard to let go because you know the quality that you can do. You know how much how important it is. And sometimes it's stuff you just like yeah. to do. You don't want to let go of the stuff that's fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like Liking it is, is a part of it. You want to know that you did it. But you know what? So do your employees and so do your partners. And giving them that opportunity is important. I, that's what I would say I should work on. Now, in transitioning from military, where, of course, you still are as part of the reserves, but from being full-time military, active military, to being more in the civilian world now, how have you had to learn to shift your speech style in order to connect with people or overall how you communicate? And was that a difficult learning curve? I think it happened pretty quick for me, but I got lucky because I my first job was working for two Naval Academy grads. So they <laughs> mentored me in, in how, how to not talk like a Marine not throw terms around that people won't remember or, or understand. No alphabet soup. Yeah, yeah, we definitely have that going on. But I would say that, that for me, the biggest difference was, you know, I was spoiled. As a young Marine officer, you get spoiled by the Marines that work for you. The Marine Corps trains its enlisted personnel, especially the young enlisted, Lance Corporals, Corporals, Sergeants, you know, they are fire and forget weapons. And that's some jargon, so I'll explain it. You know, when we say okay. fire and forget there's certain weapons that you can point it at a tank, you can shoot it, and you can walk away and move on to that next task and know that that weapon is going to continue down the path and follow that tank and eventually hit it. So that's fire and forget. And when we looked at in the Marine Corps, I would, I would task a corporal or a sergeant to do something, and I know it was going to get done. I knew they were going to report back to me when it was complete. If it didn't get complete or if there was a problem, they were going to reach back out to me and say, hey, sir, we've got this issue going on and here's what's happening. When I moved into the civilian sector, you know, when you task someone to do something, you have to follow up. You have to follow up because not everything's a fire and forget. Not everyone went to boot camp. Not everyone's been trained to go back and say, hey, sir, here's this current situation. And so you could go a week thinking that a task is underway or that a task is advancing and then find out, you know, next week when you get back together that, oh, well, uh, did you did you really want me to do that? Uh, was I really supposed to do that? Or actually we stopped on Tuesday because we had a problem. That really frustrated me. And so I really had to force myself to say, look, not everybody I'm working with is a sergeant that reports directly to me now. And I really have to do a better job of following up and making sure I'm checking on the tasks that I send out there. It's not all fire and forget anymore. It's challenging, isn't it, to try to keep in mind all those pieces and keep track of everything else without knowing that it's it's not a boomerang, right? It's a baseball. You send out an instruction and you hope it's going to come back to you. A boomerang will automatically come back, but it doesn't tend to happen. So have you figured out a better way to keep track of those things? I have. And, and, and honestly, I'll say similarly, it was frustrating to me 
when folks that I worked for would come back to me two days later and say, hey, how's that thing going? Because in my mind, I'm, I'm also Marine and I'm thinking, mm. I'm going to come back to you with a solution. Don't worry, I'm working on it. You don't need to check on me. But I've learned from those people, right? And now I understand why they did that because I've met my own pitfalls by not following up. So, you know, it's really just about keeping better lists and using our project tools that are out there. The calendars, great weapon, you know, saying, yeah. hey, I'm going to set an appointment for myself to follow up on these five things. And that's a simple way to do it. It pops up in my calendar. I say, all right, it's time to follow up on these things and make sure they're moving forward. I know our follow-up meeting is not till next week, but I'm going to do that now just to double check on things and make sure there aren't balls being dropped. You know, A lot of people yes. have too much going on in life. And it's something that we have to understand. You know, People have kids, sports, jobs, extracurricular activities. And so really it's actually helpful to them when you follow up and say, hey, are you still tracking on this? And how's that going? Yes. Having some sort of system, even if it's calendar reminders, uh, put a due date, something that's going to pop up on your watch, pop up wherever else. Yep. It's one of those places where technology occasionally does help out. Now, this brings us to the 24-hour influence challenge. So, Joey, this is your opportunity to talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours in order to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? So I would challenge you by doing a ranked prioritization of the things that mean something to you in life. And I would say the big things, right? I mean, you can make as many as you want. Your list can be five long. It can be 20 long, but just put them on a list and either put them on the back of your office door or put it in your Rolodex so that you look at it every once in a while, maybe on your background of your phone. But for me, the priority is something like, I just list God, country, family, job, friends, fun, right? Just call it that. That's what it looks like for me. And what I, why I would say to do that and why I think that's important is because when you have a tough decision to make, and we all have tough, every day you're going to have multiple decisions to make and small or large, a lot of them can be really hard. It could be, hey, am I going to go to my daughter's basketball game today or my son's football game today? Which one am I going to go watch? You know, those little decisions. And then the big decisions, like, am I going to go to that funeral or am I going to go to that wedding? You know, those kinds of things are hard. And so you want barriers and guides to help you make those decisions. And I don't think the priority list is going to be the be all end all of helping you make that decision. But when you do have a decision to make and you look at your priority list and it might be something like, hey, I can either go to this birthday party or I can go to the first Holy Communion and you have church and God listed above fun. It might help you make that decision a little bit easier. It might make it a more of a snap decision for you. Yes. I don't know if it'll be helpful or not, but it's been very helpful to me in my life. My dad had me do it when I was young and I still tell my mentees to do it as well. So listen, it doesn't have to be a lifelong, you know, 700 item list. It can be five, can be 10, but whatever are your priorities in life, it's not necessarily about values. It could be a values list, but otherwise, what are the most important things in your world and to, to put them in rank order on a piece of paper? You know, I find that a lot of people will say, well, I know what they are. I find that writing them down, when you write those words out and you look at that list and you see how it sits in your stomach, does that list, when you look at it, are you comfortable with that list? That may be what you claim, but would you really feel comfortable choosing X over Y if push came to shove? I, I think there's really something powerful. You might be writing down all of 10 words. Yep. Fine, write down those 10 words, but look at them and sit with them and really ask yourself, am I comfortable? Until you feel like, yeah, no, that's, that is what I truly value. I love that exercise. It's focused and simple. Yep, you nailed it. 
That's exactly why. There's a lot of things that may be simple, but not necessarily easy. I'll say this. My daughters, I made them do it and uh, their lists don't look like mine. And I've had, <laughs> I've had to try to influence them to push the word fun lower on the list. <laughs> well, but in all fairness, how old are your daughters? I have a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, and, and an eight-year-old. The one and a half year old hasn't done it yet, but she'll, she'll get her chance. And she's pretty advanced from what I understand. So that'll be sooner rather than later. Sure will. Okay. So a dad with three teen slash tween daughters. Yes, there's a whole bucket load of communication related challenges and shifts. And you got to be kidding me and whatnot that I'm sure would be part of a second follow-up conversation. So maybe we'll talk about having those later. I'm a mom with two boys. You're a dad with four girls. It's a whole different world, isn't it? Sure is. It's crazy. <laughs> All right. So in that vein, now whether we're going to talk about fatherhood or about military or about business or anything in between, what's a communication related mistake that you've made? So whenever someone asks me this question, I go right back to a story of bad news. You know, bad news does not get better with age. You probably heard that mm. before. But in the project leadership world, it's even more critical because I'm working with my client's project. I'm working with my client's money. And so I've had a project in the past where uh, it was an old hospital. It was probably 70 years old and we were putting an addition on it. So where the new project and the old building met, you know, there was lots of things in those walls that we didn't know about. There's no blueprints for that anymore. The codes are different. So you don't really know what to expect. And as we would open walls, we would find things that shouldn't have been there and that code would not allow to be there anymore. But we were on a deadline. We had to meet that schedule and the schedule was the priority for the client. So we were just driving, driving, driving. Hey, fix that, fix this, fix this. And they were putting together tickets, which is, you know, the cost for those little fixes along the way. Those tickets were beginning to add up. And in my mind, I thought, okay, well, we still have some money left in the project. Those tickets aren't that bad yet, but more and more were coming every day. And in my sense, I was sort of holding that to myself, thinking that maybe it wouldn't get too bad and that it would still be covered by the project cost. But looking back on that, I should have just said right away, hey, client, we're running into these problems. The value is already at this and it's probably going to continue. Here's my recommendation on how we proceed. We have to do it. Obviously, it's a co-compliant issue, but here's where we can take the money from and here's where we can help that. In the end, that got away from me for sure, got away from our project team for sure. And that final value, when we were celebrating the fact that we hit the finish line and we hit the deadline and the project was done, then we had to turn around and go into another room and sit down and say, here's all these extra costs that have been stacking up to get us to that finish line that we haven't been talking about. I bet that was a fun conversation. Not fun at all. Not fun at all. <laughs> you know, that's when the auditors come out and they start looking at everything. And so at the end of the day, the best thing to do is to say, hey, this is some bad news. I need to highlight this right away. I need to explain what I think is the right thing to do so that we can make a value decision. And when I did that, because I do that now, now I say, there's a bogey out there. And I don't mean bogey in the sense of an enemy jet fighter, but in my mind, a bogey is like, hey, the project's going to go over budget or there's a big piece of equipment that's going to be late. As soon as I see that on my radar, I highlight that to everyone and anyone. And I provide what I think is the best solution. But when you get that information out there quickly, what I've found is that I start getting all kinds of, of help. All of a sudden, you know, people aren't just, oh, look at this problem that's been highlighted. It's help. People try to help. Here's a way that we can get around that. Here's something we can do to buffer that, you know. And so I would say bad news doesn't get good with age. I've made that mistake before. I won't make it again. 
Uh, and that's a critical part of what we do as project leaders. Yes. And I think the conflict aversion is something that we all would like to be able to indulge that no one likes to be the bearer of bad news or to say, hey, I know we budget X, Y, Z, but oh, we, we identified this nice little surprise Easter egg behind the wall that we really weren't planning on. And that's going to add to the time, add to the budget, add to whatever else, but would rather just keep people abreast than drop a nice big basket worth of them on the end when people should be celebrating. And instead, they're like, oh, but wait, there's a few extra checks we need you to write first before we can celebrate. You know, congrats, we're done on time, but not exactly under budget. And, and then one more thing about that is that there's nothing better than highlighting a problem early and then finding a way to make it go away. Because that's a great conversation. Yes, yes. That certainly would be the spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down a little bit easier. Then you get to be the hero who fixed the problem instead. Exactly. So now what is something that has disqualified or at least delayed a an otherwise technically qualified internal candidate from taking on a greater leadership role? What would they have needed to do to fix the problem? So in this case, I have a really good personal example of how, okay. how you know I was delayed in my own advancement because of my own, I guess, uh, lack of attention to detail. Uh-oh. Okay. Yeah. So so the story goes like this. I was a major in the Marine Corps and I'm still, I'm still in the Marine Corps Reserves. As you mentioned, I'm a lieutenant colonel now. I picked up lieutenant colonel this past September, a year after I should have. And here's why. You know, I, I had a great career going. I was going to the right schools. I was taking the right jobs. I was physically fit. I could still shoot great. I could do all the things that a Marine was supposed to do. And on top of that, I had very good fitness reports from my supervising officers. But the Marine Corps is very strict about promotions. And when they have a promotion board, they expect you to have your package 100% complete and ready to go by a specific date so that the board can review it and decide on your promotion ability. In my case, I thought I had a great package. I checked it. I checked it twice. I sent it in for review at headquarters Marine Corps. They sent it back and said, it looks good. But in the interim between them sending back my package and my promotion board, I had another fitness report. I had another period of time where someone wrote a report on me. And one of the rules about that promotion board is that you have every one of your fitness reports to date in that package. In that period of time, that, and that period of time happened to be Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. In that period of time, I forgot to send that last report into the package that had already been reviewed. And so when that list came out in February and I wasn't up for promotion, I was shocked and I was disappointed and I was upset. And I probably could have, should have, and would have gone somewhere and led a more senior billet sooner than I did now because I forgot that one piece. And when I look back at it, I was kicking myself. I was so upset that I forgot that. But it was a really good lesson for me that, you know, I had to wait a year to get where I wanted to be because of one small detail that I forgot. My priorities weren't right. You know, I let the fun of, of those holidays and all that stuff distract me from getting that done. And, you know, it was disappointing, but I got through it, overcame it. And now, now I am a Lieutenant Colonel and I hope I won't make that mistake ever again. Yeah. I'm guessing you won't. I'm guessing you won't. But it also goes right back to your 24 hour influence challenge, uh, looking at that priority list. You know, when actions get out of line with what the priorities are, then comes back to bite you. That was a perfect example. Yeah. Now, you've got four daughters and one of them is going to be graduating in the not too distant future at that point. But if you were asked to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony for her or for any of the others, for that matter, what advice would you give the graduates, regardless of whether or not they go to college or their career goals? What's the one thing they have to do to be successful? I'll say this. If not me, then who? That's a motto that I'm stealing from the Travis Mania Foundation, which is an organization that I 
I volunteer for and I mentor kids about character. And I love the motto of if not me, then who. And the concept behind that is if you're somewhere and there's something to do, then who better than you to do it? Whether that's picking up a piece of trash in the hallway of your classroom or you know, telling a bully to stop picking on a kid in the hallway or stopping to help someone who who's blown out a tire on the side of the road. These are simple things we can do every day. We can just say, if not me, then who? Are you going to wait for someone else to do that or are you going to do it? And that's like, that's habit building. That's habit building. And then when something important happens in life, you know, when there's a house fire and you got to take action, and do the right thing, or you see a car accident, you got to stop and do the right thing. That habit's going to kick in. And this played out for me about a month ago with my kids. We were coming home from, from basketball practice late at night. It was dark. Roads were a little icy. And there was a car wrapped around a telephone pole on a back road near our house. And it had just happened. I could tell the accident had just happened. One other car started to stop. And I was in the car with my wife and my kids. And my natural tendency was to pull over and get out. And we, me and this other gentleman, we worked to see if we could get to the guy and try to help him before. And we made the 911 calls and got the police there. And we did everything we could you know, quite frankly, to save his life because it was a very bad accident. There was a deer involved and all that. But I would say that that natural reaction comes from being habitual about doing the right thing when it's the little things. And I think for me, that was really important for my girls to see. They even said it to me afterwards on the ride home, you know, hey, dad, was that like an if not me, then who moment? I was like, absolutely, guys. You know, that's how you do it. And I'm always pushing that on them. I push that on all the kids that I mentor. And if I was giving a commencement speech, I would say from the start, If you don't remember anything I say, remember this, live your life in an if not me, then who way, and you will do the right thing when it matters. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And it's funny. I've often advised clients when they're doing any sort of presentation or training to be able to get your message down to that one piece and often prefacing with the phrase, if you don't remember anything else I say, you need to remember this. Find your your tweetable and repeatable soundbite, as it were, and that what are they going to be able to easily understand, remember, and hopefully share? Yeah. And it sounds like you've done that really beautifully with the girls. Yeah, I try. You know, they're all different in their own ways, and I've got one more coming up who's who I you know I still have to work with, but I think I'm sending out some good people into the world. So. It's a good thing. I have no doubt, both personally and professionally. So, Joey, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really, really terrific conversation. I really appreciate you having me. You know, never done anything like this, but this is really cool. And uh, and I had a lot of fun doing it. You're a very good interviewer. Well, thank you. I had a great time as well. And so to everybody else out there who is interested in learning more about Joey or about Quatrefoil, Joey, how can people learn more? Yeah, great. So if you want to check us out or if you have an opportunity, you need, you know, I like to say this. We are elite project leaders for elite projects. If you've got something really challenging and you're like, who can handle this? Call us. And I know that sounds Ghostbuster-esque, but I'm telling you, <laughs> we, are, we are the premier project leaders out there. Check us out at www.quatrefoilleads.com. Should I spell that for them? I will put it in the show notes, so don't worry about it. Okay. Quatrefoilleads.com, or you could just go to at quatrefoilleads on, on Instagram or on LinkedIn, and you can find us there as well. Terrific. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you, everybody else, for listening. Please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more, so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for greater virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence. 
communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sicola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.